I'm Phyllis Karasov. I'm chair of the Labor and Employment Law section at Larkin Hoffman. And I'm here with Chris Young, and he's going to introduce himself in a moment. And we are going to be talking about data breaches, how employers can plan for the potential fallout. As I mentioned, I'm chair of the Labor and Employment Practice Group, and I have had the occasion particularly during COVID to work with a number of employers where there have been data breaches. Most of us have received letters from either our own employers or from companies that our employers do business with informing us of a data breach. Chris, why don't you introduce yourself? Uh, hi, I'm Chris Young. I'm a litigator here at Larkin Hoffman and my practice focuses on intellectual property, including patent, trademark, and trade secret litigation, as well as litigation involving cybersecurity and commercial disputes. Uh, I'm certified uh, in cybersecurity and privacy, and uh, I'm happy to be uh, presenting here today. Thank you. So as I mentioned, it is becoming more commonplace to receive a letter indicating that your confidential information, such as your address, your telephone number, your social security number, um, may have been disclosed via a data breach, either by your own employer or by a third party with which your employer does business. Chris, what is the first piece of advice that you would give to an employer concerning cybersecurity? The number one piece of advice I have for employers is to strongly consider purchasing cybersecurity insurance. There's a lot of different names for cybersecurity insurance. It, it may go by cyber insurance or cyber and privacy insurance. I've even seen it called privacy notification and crisis management expense insurance. Regardless of what you call it, it's, it's important for businesses to get familiar with these policies and to learn about the coverage options and potential benefits that these types of policies can provide. Uh, a typical breach policy will provide coverage for the forensic investigation, legal fees that are incurred both during and after the response, data analysis used to determine what information, if any, was taken, communication, meaning notice letters to customers, establishing call centers and regulatory communications with various agencies that you'll be interacting with. They also, it also covers identity monitoring, which can be, it can include credit monitoring and identity, identity restoration services. It covers public relations fees, which are usually necessary, as well as regulatory fines and legal settlements. Now, many, if not most cyber insurance policies also will include extortion coverage to pay any ransom necessary to regain system access and control. So when shopping for cyber insurance, it's, it's critical uh, that employers read any potential coverages and carefully compare policies in order to obtain the best coverage. As with any kind of uh, insurance, cyber insurance coverage is subject to certain coverage limitations, which businesses have to very, very carefully consider, particularly in the context of their own specific operations. Now, with the recent spate of well-publicized ransomware attacks, most well-known of which was the Colonial Pipeline attack and the, the JBS uh, meat packing uh, attacks. But because of those cyber insurance policies, the cost has gone up significantly. Earlier this year, uh, global insurance broker Marsh 
estimated that cyber insurance policies had increased by roughly 35% uh, over the same time in the previous year. And at this point, that was several months ago, so the, the, the costs have just continued to go up. Now, many insurers are responding to the high-profile ransomware attacks like the a colonial pipeline attack by reducing coverage for certain sectors that are deemed to be particularly at risk for such uh, cyber and ransomware attacks. So because of all of these shifting sands in the cybersecurity insurance market, it, it is especially important uh, that employers make sure that they know what coverages they are getting and at what levels they are purchasing their insurance. If an employer learns of a data breach that affects their employees, are there any notice periods in which the employer must inform employees of this data breach? Well, well that's a good question, Phyllis. And, and yes, there, there are. Now, and, and it's very important to be aware of the notice laws that may apply to an employer's business. And it's important to know that before a breach occurs. Now, for purposes of our discussion today, I'm just gonna confine my uh, you know, comments to businesses operating only in the US and leave discussions of global privacy laws for another day. But in the US, um, there are breach notification laws we all have to be aware of. There's not currently any federal data breach notification laws, although that could be changing. Uh, but virtually every state and, and most US territories have adopted some sort of breach notification law. So it's important to know, as I said before, in advance of a, any breach, what those notification laws are so that you can comply with them uh, when they kick into gear. So not breach notification laws outline the steps that have to be taken to provide notice of a, a covered breach to residents of uh, each individual state. Now, since most employers are likely, or a lot of employers are likely to have uh, personal identifiable information, which is also known as PII, uh, from people in a number of states, employers need to know how uh, quickly notice must be given to each of those residents and each of those employees. Because each state has its own notification statutes, they're going to differ, and they do differ with respect to uh, how each state defines a breach, what type of data constitutes personal identifiable information, what events trigger notice obligations, and the timing and content of the notices that have to be provided. In Minnesota, for example, Minnesota statute section 325E.61 provides that following the discovery or notification of a security breach that is reasonably believed to have resulted in the unauthorized acquisition of unencrypted personal information, the holder of that information, the uh, employer in this case, must disclose the breach, quote, in the most expedient time possible and without unreasonable delay, close quote. So the only exception to this standard is if law enforcement asks for a delay uh, in the disclosure of the breach. Uh, the Minnesota notice sta statute does not dictate what type of information must be disclosed in the notice other than simply providing notice uh, that the recipient's PII was breached or potentially breached. Now, most other states have a similar standard uh, to Section 325E.61 but some provide a maximum window for notification um, post-breach or post-discovery of the breach. Depending on the state, notice requirements may range from as little as 14 days, which I believe is the law in Vermont, to as much as 60 days. And what's typical is that states will have a, a, a 30-day notice window, um, that, and that's the, the time frame that's most common uh, in most state statutes. Now, Phyllis, I have a question for you. 
In your experience, are there any policies that employers in particular should develop and put in place in anticipation of a data breach? Well, what used to seem as highly improbable is now becoming a much more commonplace and almost expected occurrence. So ideally, an employer should prepare an incident response plan in advance of any data breach so that they are reasonably ready to go if such a data breach occurs. And such a plan would address items such as division of responsibility for managing the investigation, because sometimes employers spend a lot of time debating and discussing who's gonna be in charge, what are we gonna do, who do we contact? And this plan would identify all of those steps. It would also discuss reporting a breach to law enforcement and other regulatory authorities. And it would discuss um, how and when it can be determined that there is a data breach. There's a number of situations in which I've been involved where an employer becomes aware of the possibility of a data breach, but they don't have a lot of information. They're not certain if any employee um, information has actually been disclosed. And again, they don't wanna spend a whole lot of time debating and discussing, but rather already having the steps in place and what the triggers are going to be for giving notice to employees. Depending on the size of the business, it could even be a multi-layered plan where the, the response strategy is dependent on whether the attack has a low, medium, or high level impact. It's also wise to involve your counsel, um, hopefully Larkin Hoffman, um, about preparing that plan and kind of what the steps are required. Uh, because attorneys can be instrumental in helping to identify all of the organization's potential exposures and reporting obligations so that the planned response is as comprehensive as possible to reduce the potential for fines and civil liability. As uh, Chris talked about, there can be a lot of different requirements in different states. And if an employer is aware that they uh, might be affected by other state laws, they would want in this plan to discuss those states in which they do business or which they employ employees. In particular, now that so many employees work remotely, there could be state laws implicated that they were not previously. But again, instead of spending the time once that data breach has occurred, trying to figure out what state laws apply, it would be good to have those already discussed in the plan. The other piece of this plan is training. It's really critical to have training to help employees recognize what is a fraudulent message and what they should and should not be doing. So if we took a, you know, just a hypothetical company, Acme, which let's just say Acme is a manufacturing company um, and an employee in human resources clicks on a fraudulent message that allowed phishing, a phishing message, which would install keystroke, a keystroke logger that records computer activity 
or downloads malicious software to the computer, which is then spread to other computers on the network. Um, what should Acme Manufacturing be doing once it learns it has been the victim of a cyber attack? Let's add to this drama the possibility that the initial penetration occurred right before Christmas and it's discovered during the first week of the new year. And that's because it's not really that uncommon for these kinds of infiltrations to occur right before holidays when people are distracted. And data breaches can be external or internal in origin. So the training is a critical element here so that your employees are aware of the role that they can play in causing a data breach. And many times, the data breaches are the fault of the employer's employees rather than an external kind of, of uh, attack. So let's assume for purposes of our example that Acme Manufacturing was the victim of an external web-based attack. The first thing Acme should do is contact its counsel to let them know about the intrusion. If they have cyber insurance, um, it is very possible that the cyber insurance company will select counsel for ACME who are very experienced in dealing with cybersecurity to address the consequences of the intrusion. If ACME manufacturing does not have cyber insurance, you'd want to make sure that they still have good legal guidance as it prepares to reach out to law enforcement and possible regulatory authorities and helps ACME to meet their notification obligations. Chris, do you have any other suggestions for what an employer should do at this early stage of a data breach? Yeah, the first thing, um, again, sticking with ACME, uh, if ACME has cyber insurance, it should immediately contact its, its cyber insurer. Now, beyond that, um, the first thing ACME should do is is uh, take steps to identify the threat and contain it. Now, usually cyber insurance companies will have relationships with forensic investigators uh, and companies that specialize in breach response and mitigation. And if ACME has cyber insurance and its insurer should, able, should be able to get a mitigation team engaged right away. If ACME does not have cyber insurance, um, then it should find a breach mitigation expert on its own and engage them right away. Now, ideally, ACME would have identified a breach mitigation company in advance of any breach as part of its the incident response plan that you, you know, uh, discussed earlier. Now, once ACME is working with a, a remediation expert, the first priority will be to identify the threat, contain it, and eradicate it. Now, ACME has to or should understand that the process itself can have side effects. And, you know, in, in addition to the operational problems that are likely to result from the intrusion and the, and the probable deployment of malware, some software products that are used to detect malware can hinder, hinder system operation uh, on their own. So that's something that ACME needs to be aware of and, 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 and account for. Now, if ACME uh, is the subject of a ransomware attack, it, it may be most simple to, and, and most prudent to, to just pay the ransom. As I mentioned earlier, many, if not most, cyber insurance policies cover extortion payments. But eventually the technical aspects of the breach are going to be ascertained and, and the malware will be eradicated. So once that happens, ACME is going to need to focus on 
ascertaining the damage from the breach. And the first part of that effort generally entails determining what information was exposed or, or potentially exposed during the per, uh, penetration and what, if any, information that the attackers were actually able to exfiltrate uh, from ACME. So ACME should immediately contact its counsel uh, to let them know about the intrusion. Now, if they have cyber insurance, the insurer may select counsel uh, for ACME to address the consequences of the intrusion. If, Ac if ACME does not have cyber insurance, it's going to want to make sure that it immediately obtains legal guidance as it prepares to reach out to law enforcement and regulatory authorities. There's usually going to be two groups of people um, that uh, a company like ACME, for, for which they'll have uh, personally identifiable information. And, and those are the folks that are going to need to receive notice of breach. Those include company employees and, and Acme's customers. You know, for customers who are businesses, they also main, may maintain the personal identifiable information of their customers, uh, in which case those third parties will also have an interest in receiving notice of breach. Now, initially, Acme's own employees are almost certainly going to know that the company has been subject to a cyber attack. So uh, until ACME understands the full extent of the intrusion and what information the attackers were able to, to access and potentially ex exfiltrate, ACME may want to issue just a very short statement to its employees, acknowledging that the intrusion occurred, stating that the intrusion is being investigated and mitigated, and that any additional information will be communicated to the employees once, it is, once it's known. Um, if the cyber attack is likely to become known to the public or to ACME's customers, then ACME may want to consider uh, issuing a similar public statement um, to the one that it provided to its employees. Um, now, every business gets to make its own decision in that regard, but openness and transparency are generally going to result in better public relations and more consideration from regulatory authorities when it comes to making decisions about you know, potential civil fines. When ultimately providing notice of a breach to either, you know, persons or businesses who are, or, or customers of ACME whose PII was potentially exposed, uh, it's generally wise, regardless of the jurisdiction in which ACME sits, uh, to answer the questions that uh, all of the potential victims are going to want to know. And that is, you know, what information may have been stolen? Can the data easily lead back to the customer or the, the the, the theft victim. What does the victim need to do if their information was stolen? Should they simply change their passwords? Should they obtain identity theft protection or something more? And depending on the nature of the breach, a, a company like Acme may want to reach out and, and affirmatively offer uh, affected individuals a year of credit monitoring or identity theft protection, to, uh, particularly if there's some indication that those folks, uh, PII was exposed or, or potentially exfiltrated. And again, this is something that cyber insurance will generally cover. Uh, and then finally, you know, depending on the size of the intrusion, it may be advisable for ACME to issue a, a press release explaining the circumstances of the breach, um, you know, describing, you know, ACME's uh, remediation efforts and efforts to protect uh, the potential victims of the breach. That's just in an effort to sort of get out ahead of the, the controversy that's no, almost certainly going to you know follow um, a breach becoming known. Now, Phyllis, do you have any advice about what a, an employer like Acme should expect once the notice of a, a data breach is, is actually provided? 
If there is a determination through by the ACME's council or the cyber insurance company, that notice should be given to regulatory agencies such as the FTC or the SEC, or um, if there's personal health information to the various health-related agencies or possibly state attorney generals. It is very possible that some kind of investigation could be launched by one or more of these agencies. And these investigations would normally begin by uh, completing a questionnaire from the agency. And then there may be more involvement depending on the specifics of the breach. In addition to an, an agency investigation, civil litigation is also a distinct possibility. And you know, some of that's going to depend on the size of the employer as well as the customer base. But the litigation often could be brought by um, a class action, and it could involve uh, causes of action such as negligence, breach of contract, breach of fiduciary duty, breach of warranty, breach of confidence, false advertising, and unfair or deceptive trade practices. Data breach litigation so far have, if not resolved via a motion to dismiss, or summary judgment is very often resolved via a settlement agreement. In today's global economy, when there is a data breach, it can affect employees and others in many states and even other countries. And as we talked about, legal counsel can assist in determining whether state laws have different notice periods and other issues relating to data breaches that should be taken into account. I should mention that if, if a company does business in California, there are specific claims that can be brought under the California Consumer Privacy Act. And under that statute, there are statutory damages that can range from $150 to $750 per individual. And Virginia also recently passed the Consumer Data Protection Act that will go into effect in 2023. Uh, as a general matter, Data breach claims can be very difficult for breach victims to prevail on because it's often difficult to establish standing. In other words, was that person actually harmed by the data breach? Because it's not enough to allege that the company or the employer actually sustained a data breach or that there's some kind of risk of identity theft because of the breach. There actually has to be a demonstration of concrete harm. Chris, is there anything else you would like to say to our audience uh, before we end our podcast? Yeah, um, you know, before we conclude, I just wanna mention, you know, one more thing for businesses in, in Minnesota in particular to be aware of. Uh, although Minnesota businesses aren't yet subject to a con consumer privacy statute like uh, the, the CCPA that you just mentioned, every year we get just a little bit closer to that being the case. Um, during the Minnesota legislature's last term, a bill called the Minnesota Consumer Data Privacy Act that was modeled on the recently passed Virginia Consumer Protection Act uh, was introduced but ultimately died in committee. Uh, the Minnesota bill was very similar to the, the new Virginia statute and, and if passed, it would have applied to companies that process data of at least 100,000 consumers or that generate more than 25% of their revenue from the sale of personal data 
while also processing the personal data of at least 25,000 Minnesotans. The Minnesota bill, as introduced, uh, established a host of, or would have established a host of new consumer rights. It, it would have sought to impose new and onerous regulations on businesses, and it, it proposed statutory penalties for violations. In light of the uh, potential impact of such legislation, it would be wise for Minnesota companies in particular, like, like ACME, in our example, to be tuned into developments on this data privacy front. Uh, now, in addition to a potential Minnesota data privacy law, it's becoming increasingly likely that a federal data privacy statute may also be passed in the next few years. The idea of, of, of adopting a data privacy statute is, is continuing to gain traction in both parties, and both parties have introduced such bills. Most recently, in early August, uh, a Republican senator from Mississippi, uh, Senator Roger Wicker, introduced a bill that would create nationwide protections and, and preempt state data privacy laws. This bill, uh, as introduced, calls for enforcement by the Federal Trade Commission and state, state's attorney generals. Some advocacy groups have voiced concerns about uh, such preemption, rather, and have noted that any federal data privacy law is likely to be less stringent than the California Consumer Protection Act, for example. But the bill has, at this point, the bill has just been introduced, and uh, it would be subject to amendments, potentially, potentially making it more stringent and robust. But whatever comes from the Minnesota legislature or the U.S. Congress, in all likelihood, a data privacy bill that's going to affect Minnesota businesses is, is likely on the horizon. And if it doesn't happen in the next year, uh, the, the likelihood that it's going to be passed in the next few years is, is very high. So hopefully uh, employers like Acme can, uh, can keep an eye on this and, and, and try and get out ahead of it. Well, we hope this has been helpful to our audience. Please feel free to contact me or Chris if you have any questions or are so unfortunate to have a data breach yourself. Thank you so much for your attention. Yes, thanks for listening. And if you haven't already done so, don't forget to shop for cybersecurity insurance.